Last year, one of my, my seminary job was I was a, a vicar at Wisconsin Lutheran College. So I, I got to teach some Bible classes and, and to lead them in some of their evening worship. But one of the things that I got to do was teach at this school. It's called Bruce Guadalupe School. And I would go there once a week with a group of students from Wisconsin Lutheran College. And we would teach um, third grade and under about Jesus. Just for, for an hour, once a week. Uh, Bruce Guadalupe School was in inner city Milwaukee and it was one of the most elite Hispanic schools in the entire United States. And because it had this reputation and this prestige, uh, President Barack Obama actually went and visited the school probably about three or four years ago now. And so I was talking to the, the principal about that visit because I wanted to know how, how the visit went and, and what he came to, to say. And he said the visit was awesome and it was such an honor to have the president come and visit. But the preparation that went into the president coming, it was insane. More than a, more than a month, like well over a month, I can't remember the exact amount of time now, but well over a month beforehand, there was a, a group of people that was sent to the school to uh, make sure that everything was in order. They had a, a checklist that they had to go over. And they had to actually make several modifications to the school building itself just so that the president could come. And he was only going to be there to talk for two hours. Things haven't changed much over the years. Back in Old Testament times, um, when a king was going to move from one place to another, there was preparation that had to happen. He sent a group in front of him to remove obstacles, maybe not as big as this boulder here. That would be kind of hard to move. But they would remove stones, uh, bigger, bigger sized rocks that would break chariot wheels or, or uh, tree trunks or tree limbs. They would remove everything and make sure that the, the path was straight and the path was smooth so that the king would have no problems coming. All of that preparation is what went into a king coming. That's what we're doing in Advent. We're preparing the way for Jesus to come. We're making his path smooth. That's what John the Baptist's job was. He was sent ahead to prepare the way for the Savior to come the first time in grace. And we're looking forward to Jesus coming again on Judgment Day where he'll take us to be with him in heaven. John the Baptist prepared people by preaching to them, but how do we prepare today? Because there are things in our hearts that, that don't make it safe for Jesus to come. There are obstacles and roadblocks in our hearts that make it hard for Jesus to come. I don't know what it is, what the roadblock is in your life. It could be greed. You could be holding on to lust or anxiety or, or whatever it is. But it's our job to prepare our hearts for Jesus to come the second time. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 1, an account of John the Baptist this morning with this theme in mind. The way is prepared so that you can confess your sins and so you can confess Christ. Between the Old Testament book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, and the New Testament book of Matthew, there's about 400 years 
of history. We call it the, the intertestamental period. There's no biblical books that are written in those 400 years, but we know a lot of history in that time. And if you know a little bit about it, you can see God's hand just moving history and getting the world ready for Jesus to come. You've probably heard of Alexander the Great. He was alive around the 300s BC and he conquered much of the, of the known world at the time. And because he did that, he brought the Greek language to many areas of the world so that news could spread pretty quickly. That was big for, for Jesus to come. The Roman Empire was in full swing around that time and they were experiencing a, a time of peace. They called it the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. There wasn't big wars happening. The world just seemed ready for the Savior to come. The stage was set. But the hearts of the people, that was another issue in and of itself. The Jews were morally bankrupt at the time. You probably know the the two big groups of Jewish people. There was the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? Have you heard of them? The Pharisees are probably the one we hear the most of in the, in the Bible. They were uh, these people that had very strong pride in their Jewish heritage, but not in a healthy way. This was pride in their Jewish heritage that made them self-righteous and made them elitist. They thought they were a big deal. They loved the law. In fact, they made more laws. They put laws around the laws that were already there and then they put laws on top of those laws just to prop themselves up on that law so that they could look down on other people. They weren't ready for a Savior at all. They wanted the Messiah to come just so he could pat them on the back and say, hey, you're doing a good job. And then you had the Sadducees. They were the, the temple rulers at the time. They didn't want a savior to come they were pretty happy with how things were going with them on earth because they had the power and the control and they loved that power and control they were the the people that were materialist they loved the the budget more than they loved god and they even denied everything that was spiritual they didn't believe in miracles they didn't believe in angels they eventually denied the resurrection So these are the two big groups of people that Jesus are coming to. They weren't ready for a Savior. There were a group of people, though, that daydreamed and longed for the day that the Messiah would finally come. So when Mark wrote these words in the beginning of his book, this meant a lot to the people. He said, This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. I picture Mark writing these words for the first time. It's just the weight and the gravity of what he's writing. The gospel is now here and he's writing about it. In the past, it had always been something that people looked forward to, but now the gospel was here. But the people, were they ready? Mark goes on. He says, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare you the way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. We are 
so blessed, and the people back then were so blessed to have those prophets, those, those prophets like Isaiah, who foretold the coming of the Savior. But imagine being an Israelite at that time and how blessed you were to have them preach about John, too. To say that John the Baptist would come and he would prepare the way because John was not only the preparer, the great preparer, but he was a sign. He was a marker that, hey, the Savior's coming soon. That was John. So when John did come and he was to prepare the people for Jesus, where does he even start? (laughs) Put yourself in John's shoes. How does he begin to prepare the way for the Savior of the world to come? How does he make straight paths for for Jesus? It seems like a, a pretty hard and overwhelming task. But remember what I said in the, in the inter- introduction, how you prepared for a king. You sent people ahead to remove those obstacles. That's what John was sent to do, except John wasn't move, removing physical obstacles. He wasn't getting boulders and stones and, and pieces of wood out of the way. He was removing obstacles from people's hearts. John did that, but he had, to, he had to let people know that they had this deep need. People had to know that they needed a Savior, that they had this Jesus-sized hole in their heart that only Jesus could fill. Because if the people still remained in their self-righteousness, in their materialism, in their love of their own power and control, they were never going to feel the need for their Savior. They were never going to know that they had this deep need. So John preached to them a message that was simple. It was direct. And some might say it was a little harsh even, but it was necessary. Repent! Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent! Because Jesus is coming back. He pleaded with them. He begged them to confess their sinfulness to remove those roadblocks from their hearts so they would be ready for the gospel who was coming in the flesh. Our preparation is pretty similar today, and John's message is a message that's for you and for me. Repent. The basis of his message is this. Stop lying to yourself. Stop lying to yourself and thinking that you're a pretty good person. Stop lying to yourself and thinking that you have it all in control. Stop lying to yourself and thinking that you have nothing to confess. This is what God wants you to do. He, he wants you to examine yourself to examine your heart. But he wants you to be honest with yourself. You can't fool God. You can't lie to him, so don't lie to yourself. What are the roadblocks in your heart? What are the the sins that you are holding on to? We are pretty excellent at rationalizing sins, aren't we? 
we minimize them to the point where we barely see them anymore. We make them seem so small and we erode our consciences to the point where we're kind of numb to our own sinfulness. If that's you, then John's message is for you. Repent. Turn back to God and receive forgiveness. That's, that was John's message to the people. And the people, it worked. <laughs> it worked. They confessed their sinfulness. They knew that they needed a Savior. They knew that they had roadblocks in their hearts, so they wanted to remove them. And how did they do that? They confessed. Mark goes on to write, And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John's message was penetrating law. I picture the the passage in Hebrews that talks about how the the word is like a double-edged sword, piercing bone and marrow. That's how the people were cut to the heart. They felt the full weight of their sins. Maybe you remember Uh, the story of King David. We talk about it a lot. We know that King David slayed Goliath, but we also hear about King David's exploits, right? That he lusted after Bathsheba, who was married to another man. And that lust grew in his heart to the point where he actually took her and committed adultery with her. He conceived a child, and in order to cover that whole thing up, he had her husband killed. And the worst part about all this is David didn't seem to feel that sin at all. He didn't feel like he needed a Savior for that sin. But God sent a pastor to him. He sent Nathan to him. And Nathan didn't just come and say, Hey, David, you sinned. He told him a story. And if you know the story, you know why the lamb's on the screen. Nathan said there was two men One was rich and one was poor. The rich man had flocks and flocks of sheep. The poor man had just this one little lamb. This lamb was his companion. This lamb was his best friend. It was his pet. You think about your dogs or your cats that you love so much. That's how this man felt about this lamb. One day, the rich man was awaiting guests to come. He was preparing, making preparations for his guests to come. You could picture him ordering his servants around, saying, clean this, clean that. We need to get some food for these people. So instead of of taking from the flocks and flocks of sheep that he had, what did he do? He stole that little lamb from that poor man. Nathan pauses in the story. And David is just outraged. This man should not get away with this. He should be punished for what he did. You know Nathan's response? You are the man. 
David's heart sinks because he knows that it's true. At, at that moment, David felt the full weight of his sinfulness. He, he felt that law penetrating him and cutting him to the heart. And it left him grasping, grasping for healing. That was John's message. It, it cut people to the heart and left them grasping. You are the man. You are the woman that has a heart full of roadblocks. But you notice that, that when the people were confessing their sins, when they believed John's message that they were sinful, it didn't stop there. The confession was so hand-in-hand hand with their baptism where they received the forgiveness of sins. Because when you confess your sins, God will forgive you. That's how you prepare your heart for Jesus to come. You confess your sins continually and you shower yourself with Jesus' forgiveness because it's free. There is an endless supply. There's no hoops to jump through. No criteria to be met. If you confess your sins to Jesus, you will be forgiven. You are forgiven. You're living under grace. You can always turn back to your Savior. That's what it means to repent. It means to literally turn around. David did. The people who heard John's message did because they knew that they needed healing. And so they, when they grasped for healing, they grasped for Jesus. They held on to Jesus. When they knew that their heart was filled with roadblocks, they knew Jesus was the bulldozer that cleared the way. Jesus has prepared the way so that you can confess your sins with confidence and receive forgiveness. That's a beautiful section. It's a beautiful section of Scripture. And then Mark writes this next verse. And it, it kind of took me by surprise when I was reading it the first time. We know this stuff about John, but it just fits in a weird spot in this text. It says, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locust and wild honey. What's the point? What's the point here? The point is this, that John was not bringing a message of self-indulgence and worldly prestige. John's message wasn't about himself at all. John's message was a heavenly message. John didn't come to, to, see how, to show people how he looked on the outside. He was concerned with the motives of the people's hearts. And the people loved this message. They ate it up and they came to, to visit him. And John's message was, confess your sins. But that was only half of it. True spirituality is only halfway done if you are just confessing your sins. The second half is that you confess Christ. Let's hear John's confession. John says, and it says, 
This was his, this was John's message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John was a popular man for good reason. He was the marker of the Savior, right? People from the Judean countryside, so that the country folk and the city folk, all went out to see John preaching in the wilderness. Some of them traveled a good 20 miles on foot through rugged terrain just to go see John in the wilderness. And not only did they want to see him, but they listened to him. He had the ears of the people. I think about John from time to time and think, what his struggles must have been. He must have struggled with arrogance. It had to be there. That had to be what the devil was working on him with. Because these people were all coming to see him. They were all listening to him. It would have been easy for him to say, I'm the one. I'm the big deal. But John's confession is so telling and it's great. He says, this is the Christ. He is bigger than, than me. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. He realized that he was the little one and that Jesus was the big one. He knew that he was just the opening act and Jesus was the real thing. The preparer does not have the same power as the king he's preparing for. And on top of that, John knew that his message of repent, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, he knew that message was just as much for him as it was for his people. And as hard as John tried to make this clear, there were still people that wanted to make John the big one. They latched on to John the person and lost John's message. John's struggles are still alive and well today. I want to be transparent with you a little bit. The struggle of a preacher, the struggle of a pastor or a vicar even, is arrogance. It's there. The devil pokes at that. Because for 20 minutes on a Sunday, or more than 20 minutes, you come to listen to me talk. And it would be easy for me to say, I'm pretty good. Make myself bigger than Christ. But I don't want that to be the case. When I become bigger than Christ, the message of Christ, my confession of Christ is diminished. When I make myself big, Jesus becomes small. And it's a two-way street. The people wanted to make John the big one. Do we ever try to make our leaders the big one? Do we ever try to make our pastors or our staff ministers or our teachers or our connect group leaders or any leader that's over us, we try to make them the big one? Do we latch on to their personality and do we love the messenger 
more than the message. As I was studying this, I, I, I realized that this is a really hard and difficult thing, and it's subtle. And God does want you to love your called workers and your leaders and those who have been there to, to preach His Word for you. But here's the point. God doesn't want you to confess pastor or to confess connect group leader. God wants you to confess Christ. Because confessing pastor or connect group leader gets you nowhere. That has no power. But Christ alone has the power. So when you confess Christ, you're confessing power. Or how about this one? Do we ever love church activities and church plans more than we love Jesus? Do we spend more time thinking about the budget and our, our future building plans than we do Jesus? Is the camping trip more important to us than the message of Jesus? God doesn't want you to confess the church camping trip. He doesn't want you to confess the budget because these things have no power. They're fruitless. God wants you to confess Christ. John knew this. And so John said, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus. He knew that he wasn't worthy and neither are we. In fact, it is in Christ alone that we have any power to even confess Him. Christ gives us the power to confess Him, to make Jesus big in our life and make ourselves small. When you make Jesus big in your life, you are making forgiveness and love and peace big in your life. When Jesus is big in your life, when you confess Christ, you're confessing sins forgiven. The passage that we said in the confession of sins, we, in the, the absolution, if, if anyone confesses their sins, God is faithful. And he, he was, He's righteous and He will forgive all of your sins and purify you from unrighteousness. Confessing Christ means confessing forgiveness. Confessing Christ means confessing the way is prepared for you to go to heaven. John's message was really an Advent message in a lot of ways. He was preparing hearts for the coming of Jesus, the first coming, when he came in grace. But John wasn't um, unaware. He knew that Jesus would come again. In fact, in Matthew he says this, he says, His, Jesus, winnowing fork, is in his hand. He will clear the threshing floor, gathering the wheat into the barn, and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John knew that Jesus would come a second time in judgment. So the question is, will you be put in the barn, or will you you be burnt up in the fire? So the message of Advent is prepare yourself. Prepare your heart, but this task, it's not overwhelming and it's not scary. Because Jesus came in grace, because Jesus came as a little baby, because Jesus lived a perfect life, because Jesus died and rose from the dead, the way has already been prepared for you. The way is smooth 
for you to heaven. Because Jesus has come, that's a sure thing for you. You can confidently confess your sins knowing that Jesus has forgiven you. You can confidently confess Christ because he's your salvation. The best confession comes from the heart. And the best confession comes from knowing how much you've been given. Think about the shepherds out in the field that night that Jesus was born. The angels came to them and said, The Messiah is finally here. Go see him. So they ran, they ran, and they went and saw him. And it's recorded for us in Luke that after they saw him, they went and told everyone about it. They were so excited that the Messiah was here that their hearts were bursting. Let your hearts burst. And prepare for Christmas by decluttering your heart, by confessing your sins, and decorating it with Christ. Confessing Him this Christmas season and always. Amen.